0: everyone, and welcome to MLS Assist, a podcast created to give insight into Major League Soccer's on-field action. I'm Joe Lowry, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Jordan Angeli. Jordan, how you doing?
1: Oh, good. How are you, Joe?
0: I'm quite well, thank you. I'm very excited to talk about an actual MLS game. We've been, yeah. we've been uh, filling time over the last few weeks while Major League Soccer has been on break, but we're back with an actual game to talk about. We're going to be chatting about the cruise, 2 nothing win over the Chicago Fire in the last game at Historic Cruz Stadium. Jordan, you were there. You called this game. What was that like?
1: Well, first off, I feel like it is right that we're talking about this game because we're just we were like, OK, during the week, what should we talk about this upcoming week? And I was like, let's just dig into one game. We haven't done that in a while. Just one specific game. Talk about it in detail and I was glad that you also wanted to talk about this game because <laughs> this was a moment in in soccer history in the United States that I think um, should be talked about more. Historic Cruise Stadium was the first of its kind. Of course, we see these stadiums, soccer-specific stadiums, all over the world. But in the U.S., it, there wasn't that until 99 when this was erected and it is a little bit of a... Um, you know, a makeshift stadium, some people would say, but it saved the league in a lot of ways, too, and it kept the belief in what the sport was doing in the United States. It came at the perfect time, and it has housed some of the biggest games that we know of in soccer history in the United States. So for the crew to host the fire in the last match, it was um, at full capacity. The crowd was rocking, which you could hear on the broadcast. It was just a perfect ending. Dos Acero, um, to add another one of those to its long list of, um, two to nothing games at that stadium. And one of the cool notes that Neil Sika, my broadcast partner, said that um, the first goal in that stadium was scored by number 11 and the last goal was scored by number 11, which Mm. there were so many moments like that. It just felt divine in a lot of ways that things were falling into place the way that it should be to really honor this stadium and what it's meant for so many people. If um, I do want to plug Jacob Myers from the Columbus Dispatch talk to Josh Williams and Josh Williams, our center back penned a letter um, before the last game about what this stadium means. I'll make sure Joe has that. He can put it in the notes um, because it is really special and I think speaks to a lot of what this stadium has done for people over the years is people grew up knowing that soccer was a possibility and playing professionally was a soccer ability, uh, an ability here in the United States because of this stadium. So um, clearly I could talk about it forever because it was such a cool day <laughs> yeah. and I was buzzing for really until this morning. I still am. Uh, it was so much fun to be there and, um, I guess we can talk about soccer too, but.
0: We can. We can. I think it's, I do think it's cool how this stadium kind of closed as Austin started their own soccer specific stadium in Major League Soccer, right? Q2 plays their first MLS game. There's already been a U.S. women's national team game there, but. It's neat. And it's a cool thing that that more and more of these stadiums are popping up as the sport continues to grow in this country. But yeah, and enough about that. Very cool context. Jordan, I appreciate you setting the scene there. Let's talk about this game. It's a 2 nothing win. Dos Acero for the Columbus Crew over the Chicago Fire. Jordan, I'm going to start with the fire, the away team and how they lined up. Under Rafael Vicky, they're in this 4-2-3-1, and it's fluid, it's flexible, but pretty standard personnel in a lot of ways. Gaston Jimenez is off with Paraguay at the Copa America, so it was Pineda next to Alvaro Madron as the double pivot, and then three attacking midfielders in front of them, and then a number nine. Pretty straightforward stuff. Jordan, how did the crew approach this game under Caleb Porter?
1: Caleb Porter uh, went with a four three two or four two three one as well. and um, that's how Columbus typically lines up uh, and Pedro Santos started at outside back, which is his second start there yeah. in a row at outside back, uh, which is a really fun little wrinkle that has been added into the the repertoire here of Caleb Porter and the crew. And they they have a target player of Jassy's Artist. They like to use the, the channels to cross into that space and really utilize that well against the the tactics that the fire instilled. So I think that is a fun thing to talk about as we move forward.
0: So for me, the biggest storyline around this crew team this season has been the fact that they're underwhelming, particularly in the attack, right? It's been a lot of games where they haven't scored goals, or they haven't created many chances That didn't happen in this game. They were much, much better on the ball in this game than I'd seen them maybe in any game this season. I'm trying to think back to CCL, but I I think other than maybe the first round of CCL, this was the best looking crew team I've seen so far. Jordan, did you notice that as well, playing out of the, the fire's high pressure? I mean, are you seeing, did you see some of the same promising signs from the crew that I did in this game?
1: Yeah, I saw really a lot of promising signs from the crew. Uh, eight chances created in the first half, which was the most. um Beyond that one CCL game against, why can't I think of the team we played from Mexico?
0: Ah, uh, I know, I know. Oh, <laughs> I mean, you guys played Monterey in that second round. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Monterey. The the first game at home against Monterey, the crew the crew dominated the first half, really with chance creation. Hmm. Yes, the score didn't didn't show that. But a lot of chances created, and they played really well. It was early in the season, and I think um, after that, there was a lot of inju- injuries that happened with the crew, which when you're changing personnel and at the moment when you're trying to really solidify who you are as a team and gain confidence with the style of play that you have, that was difficult to manage those injuries, to bring in new players, and to also feel like the connections going forward, especially in the final third where it's the hardest place to find those connections – were active and working well so I think what happened is they had a little bit of break they got to train which they didn't get to do for a long time and it wasn't as if the crew weren't creating chances but it did feel like this was the most productive they've been in decision making to create chances in the attacking half I would say.
0: Absolutely. And part of that, I think, is the Fire's game plan playing into the crew's hands a little bit, because as mm-hmm. I mentioned, they were high pressing. They came out in that 4-2-3-1, like I said before, and it was a 4-4-2 when they pressed, and so they were really pushing numbers forward and applying pressure from the start of this game, which is, which is bold, and I respect that they did that from a neutral standpoint who has no stock in the Fire winning or losing. But against the crew, you really have to think hard about whether or not you want to press. Because you have Jonathan Mensa, you have Josh Williams, you have Affle and Pedro Santos playing as fullbacks. I mean, the back line is very capable of playing out of pressure even without Eloy Room. You know, they, they still were able to move the ball forward. And then you have Liam Fraser and Darlington Nagby, two very comfortable midfielders when they're on the ball it's hard to press a team like that. And we finally saw the crew, or maybe this is just me getting a really good look at it. We saw the crew just knifing their way through that press. They weren't perfect, but the fire would push forward and the crew would break through. And then at that point, when the numbers are stretched, if you're Chicago, then there's extra space for Columbus in the attacking half. And I thought the crew did a good job of exploiting that space in this game.
1: Yeah. So I'm going to break that down a little bit more because I think you're exactly right, Joe. You said they pressed in a four four two. are you talking about from the back to the front? Because at times, it yeah. also looked like from the front, they had four a pressing 4-4-2. the back four, yeah. and a midfield yeah, with, those wide four with the two outside yeah. backs into the midfield yeah. line, and then just the two center backs. So when you're saying that, you could flip it either way. I think it started as a four four two from the back to the front, but also at times when they high pressed, it looked like a four four two from the front to the back. And what that did, and the the reason that the crew were able to break through it is because where's the space in that situation? Well, it's right behind where those outside backs then spring forward to try to press. And I felt like Matan and Etienne did a really good job of holding and popping them into that space once the outside back came and flew at them. It was a little central pass, even like a give and go, or a quick change of point of attack where they could get out into that space in behind the opposing outside backs, who was Navarro and Sekalich for most of the game. That was the space that the crew just gobbled up. And then when you do that, Joe, you can go forward and you have Jossie Zardes running. You have the opposite side winger a little tucked in, so then they're providing an additional player to press the back line of those just two center backs for Chicago. And I thought Etienne had one ball. It didn't, it didn't connect. It was about uh, right at the beginning of the game where he's trying to spring it in behind with a nice curve ball with the inside of his right foot into Jossie artist. And that's exactly, that build up was exactly what the crew were doing against the high press of Chicago.
0: I love how you phrased that 4-4-2 press from Chicago because really it it was from front to back, which is not how we think about formations, but that's a great way to explain it. And it helps us illustrate where both of the goals came from for the crew. Mm -hmm. So Jossie Zardes gets a brace in this game. The first goal is in the 17th minute, and it's in the aftermath of a corner kick. Chicago can't clear the ball out of their box. It's a little bit of a mess, and Zardes scores it inside the box. But that, that sequence, that corner kick comes from Derek Etienne breaking into space behind Navarro, Chicago's left back and Calvo, their left center back, in that gap where the fullbacks would normally be, but it's with these aggressive Players that Rafael Vicky is using and in, in how he's uh, presenting this team to press. And so the first goal comes from that gap from Etienne. And the second goal does as well, right? 17 minutes later. It's the 34th minute. Chicago's offside trap is broken. Rafael Vicky talked about that after the game. That stuff shouldn't happen. But Derek Etienne breaks into space in that same pocket, gets on the ball and plays a little, a little ball in for Jossie Zardes who taps it in, right? Mm-hmm. Both of the goals coming from that section. That's a problem for Chicago, who are, are not a great soccer team, and, and it's a lot of times because they're giving up goals like they did in this game that have very obvious problems associated with them, but, I mean, well, well on the crew to attack those spaces over and over again.
1: Well, both of those moments were actually restarts, right? So, yes, the, the initial corner kick was caused by that buildup that you mentioned from the crew, but then you restart, you have a, an ability to say, okay, this is a big moment. Any set piece is a big moment defensively or attacking wise. So you have to manage that moment and and stay focused uh, every single second to know, okay, how can I be the best I can be inside the box? Well, the second goal came from a a foul that was restarted quickly from the crew. So Chicago was set in between. It was like they were caught in between two things. Okay, we're not quite ready for the ball to be played. We're ha- are we high-pressing? Are we holding a high line? And that's where the confusion comes. And I, I think what's it's, – it's challenging because you talked about Chicago and they have all these really good pieces, really good pieces. If you're looking at this team, they have quality players. And I even think uh, Tehran, who came in and has his first start as a center back next to Calvo, I think he, as a center back, has a lot of good qualities – But when you haven't played in there and you have your first start, you can get your split-second decisions that you have to make. And if you're not in line with the defense, well, that's going to cost you the game. And right there, he's just a step behind Calvo. It's it's a step. And that's something that you really – yeah, you can practice it in training, but Calvo's instinct was to step and keep the high line while Tehran wasn't there. And so it's these moments, I feel like, where Chicago had the majority of possession – they played some really good football. They have good um different ways to build up, which we can talk about. But it feels like, to me, they lack focus in big minutes, in, in big moments, uh, on restarts, within the box. Uh, defensively and attacking-wise, Robert Barrett should have had it happen. For sure, should have had it happen. Uh, but it's just those moments, and I feel like that's the difference maker in – professional soccer is if can you manage the big moments and stay focused for 90 minutes that is a huge task and I know I just say it lightly but Chicago seems to me like there's not that mentality
0: yeah and and that's been a problem for them no not at all that's been a problem for them dating back to last season and it's it's baffling to me I genuinely don't understand it it's also because I can't understand it. I haven't been in those moments. And so for me, when I'm watching games, I can look at, you know, what shape are these two teams playing? How are they approaching the game? What style are they using? What rotations are they, are they using in possession? How are they pressing? I can look at that stuff and have a pretty good idea of what's going on. But I can't get inside the mind of these players. I can't relate to these experiences. And so it is, it's baffling to me how over and over again we keep having these same conversations about the fire. People in the MLS world keep having the same conversations about the fire. I love the pieces on this team. Madron's one of my favorite central midfielders in MLS to watch. I think he's so talented. I think he would be a great piece for any team that's not the fire. I think he could be a really important player and a really productive player that's helping a winning team. The same goes for a bunch of other pieces on this roster, and yet they do have some of these mistakes over and over again. Jordan, the other thing I was thinking when you're talking about Tehran coming in and getting his first MLS start, Calvo. I, I, I love Calvo. I enjoy Calvo. He brings some entertainment. Calvo's got to be the worst center back to start alongside you in your first ever MLS start. Are you kidding me? It's like going out and, and learning to drive from your fun uncle or something like that who has no regard for the rules of the road. Cavo's going wherever he wants. He doesn't – he's not going to teach you. I mean, he might. I'm sure he's a great guy. Whatever. But, I mean, the way he plays, it feels like, man, uh, good luck out there. I'm going to we'll go make this sprat- marauding like, run forward.
1: You just, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you just don't know what's gonna, what decision he's going to make. <laughs> And and that uh. is why it is so difficult. He has all this experience in you. I mean, we've talked about it many a times, just like the Calvo factor with whatever team Yeah. You want. <laughs> um. Yeah, it, it difficult for him to come in and get his first start. Not only that, but just with a very disciplined and uh, a crew team who knows their patterns of play can recognize how defenses... I mean, they are drilled, right? They know how to break open a defense, and I think they showed that very well against the Chicago team. I have a question. you so were talking you about Madron, him. and I do like him. I do like him too. Yeah. What about Chicago playing in a four-four-two diamond?
0: Okay, I'm into it. So,
1: so Pineda could play the holding mid, and then Madron's one of the two eights. Erbers maybe the other eight. I just I am not convinced that Aliseda is an outside player. They had hmm. so many opportunities. The Fire did. In a buildup, and Aliceta can't find the right cross.
0: Yeah, I think in this game, he kind of reminded me of how Caleb Porter uses his wingers, the way that Aliceta played in that 4-2-3-1. He played as a pocket winger. He played inside and tucked in. And I know he's played minutes at the 10 for Chicago in the past. I know he did that last year, and he may have done it a little bit this year. I can't remember I think that shape could work because the fullbacks are already aggressive most often. At least Navarro is on that left side. And depending if it's Sekulic, not so much on the right side. But if it, I mean, they could use Frankowski there when he's back from the Euros. They have the personnel to do that. And it would allow them to have those nice little central combinations in the middle to press a little bit as well. Maybe in a more compact union kind of way. I think it could work, Jordan.
1: Yeah, I just feel like they have more central players than wingers. And then you get O'Four and Barich on at the same time, two players that are good at getting, you know, occupying spaces. Barich moves around a little bit more, can come in between the lines. He likes to pull wide at times. But I think that the way that the fire go forward, there were times, Joe, they're building up. And this is what I'm saying. They do really good things. But just as they high press with a lot of intensity, they fly forward with a lot of intensity, too. And their outside backs sometimes at the same time, in the same moment, can be the two highest players on the field. Almost where it's like a line of six players. Those three that, you know, Robert Barrett, maybe the two wingers, Tuck centrally, Gutierrez and Aliceta, are centrally right next to Barrett, And then their outside backs are really high. And I'm like, this is awesome if you can connect the passes. But when you don't then it's so easy to counter them. And the crew showed that. And I think a lot of teams will continue to show that. I like, I think I texted you like, all risk, no reward. And that's yeah. the risk. That's the risk is saying, okay, we have really good outside players who can serve into players who are crafty on the ball. Aliceta, Gutierrez, uh, players that are good in those one-touch finishes within the box, little poachers, barrich 0-4, but if the cross isn't right from the outside backs, well then it's game over and you're just chasing a hundred yards down the field.
0: It really is high risk and it, it should be high reward. We're just not seeing a lot of high reward yeah. yet in terms of output from the fire. Mm-hmm. I do want to give them one positive though okay. because I came away from this game and I, I watched I watched it once all the way through and then I watched bits and pieces of it back through again. And the first time I watched the game through, I was like, man... This Brian Gutierrez kid for the Fire is very, very good at this whole soccer thing. And I thought that before, <laughs> watching uh-huh. Gutierrez play for the Fire. He's gotten a couple other starts this year. He started against Miami, I think, right before the break. And then I, I wanted to watch through again because he only plays the first 45 minutes. He comes off at halftime as the Fire are chasing this lead. So I went back through and watched it again, wondering, did I did I overreact? Am I getting too excited about a young player? And I think the answer is no, darn it. I think Brian Gutierrez, this teenage attacking player, Is going to be very, very good. He's already good. Mm -hmm. I think he could be like really good, Jordan. The way, the way he plays, the the best way I can describe it, and it's not a great way to describe it, but the best way I can describe it is he plays fast. He's not fast. He's not this super traditionally athletic kind of player, but he plays fast. The Mm -hmm. way that he sees space, he's checking his shoulders. He's checking his shoulders to do two things, to, to figure out where he should go and to figure out what he can do with the ball as it's coming to him. He's always making those decisions, and he doesn't get on the ball a lot. That's my biggest issue with this game right now. I think that's something he can work on. Sometimes he doesn't always come to the ball. doesn't come to find space when he could help Chicago play out. But when he does get on the ball, when it's coming to him, You can see how quickly he is making decisions and how capable he is of making those decisions pay off for him. He's got a really strong right foot, very smooth on the ball. There's a moment in the 24th minute where Evers uh, wins the ball and then plays it forward to him. He checks his shoulder, lets the ball roll ahead of him, and then takes this well-timed touch to keep the ball away from Josh Williams and draw a foul. That's a veteran play right there. And this guy is a teenager. I, I think Brian Gutierrez is something, Jordan.
1: I like all those things, and that makes me. I'm going back to the four four two. He can be one of those eights. Put him at yeah. one of the eights, because then he gets the ball more. You just said that he doesn't get the ball enough. Well, he gets the ball more in that position. So, um, I don't know. I'm I'm throwing. I know Rafael Vicky doesn't like that's a, he likes a four two three one. He played that with the national teams when he was coaching them. But I don't know. Mix it up. Throw a wrinkle in. Gutierrez is a good, really a really good player, and I mentioned that exact play. I talked about it in the broadcast because he does a really good job. I don't think he likes going wide. I don't think he he no, like no. likes going one v one. If he goes one v one, he likes to bring it to his left to get a shot off or connect centrally, which again would be a nice place to put him more in a more central position. But what he does when the Chicago Fire building up, he tucks centrally. You mentioned pocket winger. Well, that engages then the center back so if he can engage Josh Williams or whoever the opposing center back is into that space there could be a play creation there where it's a little up back and through and you can spring in Barrich, 4 and it happened a couple times where 0-4 got in behind that space that we just talked about on that side of Gutierrez so I don't think he did a lot with the with the ball as you said he didn't get a, a, a ton of touches but he has the right movements I agree. I think he is going to be a player to watch as far as how he is continuing to um, find ways to get on the ball, manage moments. And he has a savviness about him already.
0: I'm not sure what the deal is with the the U-20 World Cup cycle, because I know the last U-20 World Cup was canceled due to the pandemic and all that jazz. But Brian Gutierrez is 18. He's a 2003 if the U20 cycle gets back <laughs> on track, he's thing. a guy, he's a guy I'm looking for. Yeah, it's, that's nuts. He's a guy I'm looking for to be a big part of that team along with, with other people in his age cohort. I think Pepe and Busio and, and Caden Clark. It's a talented group of young players. Gutierrez doesn't get talked about as much because he hasn't played as much. He's just kind of now coming onto the scene and he plays for a team that hasn't been very good over the last year and change, but. He's a guy that I am very much looking forward to watching for the rest of the season and down the line, wherever his career goes. Jordan, the last thing I want to talk about on the show, and then you can toss in anything that you want, is Kevin Molino. He comes off the bench to make his Columbus Crew debut in the 70th minute, comes on for Derek Etienne. He didn't do a lot in this game. The crew are pretty much just protecting their 2-0 lead. But with this game showing what the crew can be and how they can use the ball to break down the opposing team and create goal-scoring chances... Having Kevin Molino back and healthy and and ready to compete for a starting spot or at least ready to come off the bench, that's that's scary for the rest of the teams in the Eastern Conference. That is that's really really scary.
1: I wanted more from him. I think we all wanted more from him. Yeah, but I yeah. think he didn't need to provide more. Right? He there was a couple of times when he did get on the ball, and you remember that he just loves to come centrally. He loves to <laughs> okay. be next to somebody who he can play make with. It was Darlington Nagby at one point. It was Lucas Delarion at another point. He wants that little combination that we saw so many times in Minnesota last year with Reynoso. So I, I think that that was a good reminder of what he can do. Um, but also that he's willing to do the defensive work that needs to be done. Uh, Albeit uh, sometimes it wasn't super convincing. It was a little uh, <laughs> diving in, but that's something also that I've, I've noted as a player, it is so difficult to come into games and be at the level of the game right away. Like I was that player that came in and I'm, I'm, I'm getting a yellow card cause I'm just not, my feet aren't moving as quickly as they need to all right away. And I want to, you know, I want to make the tackle. So I, I felt that from Calvin Molino and he did get uh, a few cautions there. Um, but it is nice, you're right to have him and have the the ability to call on him when need be. Um, and hopefully we'll just see more and more contribution as the year goes.
0: Yeah, I mean, this crew roster is stacked, and they yeah. they should be putting in performances like this. They have the mm-hmm. talent to do so, and now you know they're they're getting healthier. They still have some players that are out, but they're they're getting closer and closer to full strength. This mm-hmm. is a team that is going to cause a lot of other teams in Major League Soccer problems, I would bet, yeah. for the rest of the season.
1: My last player, can I throw in one more player Please. that I thought was spectacular? Liam Frazier.
0: Yeah. Very good.
1: Just solid. First five minutes were rough. Honestly, he gave away, you know, Chicago is going to come out high pressing, a lot of energy, trying to pick off the ball as high up of the field as they, they can. And they picked his pocket once, like two minutes into the game, he gave away a ball, a poor ball a couple minutes later. It was a rough first five minutes. And then there was a spot where, um, he played a ball and it wasn't that good. And he got into a tackle and he got into another tackle and helped the crew go forward and since that moment, I think it was like the 20, around the 20th minute, the, he settled into his game and was just, he didn't have to do much. When you have Darlington Nagby next to you, you don't have to be the creative, uh, get out of pressure type of six. You just have to get the ball, get your hips in the right position to open up, switch the point of attack. He was pinging balls all over the field, and its it's really nice. The crew have been... Very, uh, had to have had a challenging year in that those two six positions. Aiden Morris out with an ACL, Kerry P- Perry Kitchen, uh, w- coming back from an injury still. Uh, Artur struggling with some hip issues. So, who do you play there? The, well, Isaiah Parente, the young kid, you bring in Liam Frazier. Well, we played two games against Toronto, he can't play against Toronto. So, to see him finally play a game, a full, a full match. It was so nice to see that depth is still there and he's quality. I just like his he reminds me of Shannon Box from the U.S. Women's National Team, like not going to do anything fancy, but does all the things right. And I thought he had a really good game. Go back and watch some of the, the ways he just opens his hips and gets out of pressure so seamlessly. I was loving it.
0: Liam Frazier is on MLS's Mount Rushmore in terms of disguised passes, right? Of being able to, to look off a defender and then disguise his hips even to then break lines forward and do all of that stuff. We could see that back in Toronto under Greg Vanny in, in certain instances and he didn't get a lot of minutes then and he's probably still not going to get a ton of minutes this year but what a great piece to have brought in on loan to supplement Mm -hmm. your other midfielders he also compliments nagby so well like you mentioned i think it's a really nice pairing man yeah this crew team when they're firing can be very dangerous we saw that in this game jordan thank you for joining me to chat about this final game at historic crew stadium it's always a joy
1: yeah so much fun thanks joe
0: listeners thank you all so much for listening and we'll be back again soon